0: Welcome in to the Yachtson Audible's podcast. Matt Preem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Thursday edition of the podcast. And with all three of us back now, uh, we are going to dive into some post-spring football analysis, breakdown, what we want to call it. I don't know, but it's it's an analysis. Uh, on duckterritory.com, you want to head over there. Um, you can find the story. Jared did the defense, and that's where we're going to talk first. Eric did the offense two deeps. Um, this podcast will be strictly on the defensive side of the football. Um, we'll run through the position groups here, uh, and then Jared will give his explanations of maybe one or two guys or the whole group, depending on the position. Uh, and then Eric and I will react to it. So, um, Jared, first of all, before we dive too in- Deep into each position group, just looking at this exercise post spring to uh, going into spring, you you did both. Were there any kind of surprises in your eyes, you know overarching surprises with the t- entire two deep, you know after you saw all of spring football?
1: No, not really. Um, I think there were just a couple guys where, you know, they hit the transfer portal or someone like Keith Brown, who was in my two deep originally going into spring, uh, was not in it coming out of spring, obviously. Um, but I think spring ball just kind of solidified uh, what my two deep was. Uh, I went pretty conservative with the two deep at the time and just went with guys who I really thought were going to be on the two deep. Um, lo and behold, most of them were. I think only a handful of them weren't um again this projected too deep is, is what i think it's not what uh it's not necessarily what we're going to see on the field next season it's not necessarily uh full of people who we aren't going to see on the field next season um there is certainly some bias in, into some of my selections but uh for the most part uh, during spring camp we really didn't see anything in terms of an 11 on 11 experience we only saw fastball once um and then the spring game so there wasn't a whole lot to go on. Uh, and then the spring game was even more difficult because the two sides obviously were split up. So you don't really know what your number one defense, you kind of have to mix and match. Uh, the green team was playing a four two, five with a nickel corner nickel safety, whatever you want to play or whatever you want to say about that. So basically three cornerbacks in the field. Uh, the yellow team was playing Oregon's more traditional four two, five with, uh, you know, two corners and three safeties on the field. So, uh, you know, there's some mixing and matching that you got to do. Um, but overall, I don't, uh, I don't know. I think it's, I think it was pretty conservative in my, in my spring guesses the first time around. Um, I think this one is is also conservative just because there's just not a whole lot of information to go on. And i and again, a couple bias picks, but, but nothing crazy, I would say.
0: All right. Let's look at um, the defensive line group first. you want to roll through maybe just the guys that you, you listed off and then highlight one or two guys that you feel like were, were difficult here?
1: Yeah, of course. So defensive end, I have Brandon Doris and Mace Funa. Nose tackle, I have Popo Amavai or Taki Taimani. Uh, defensive tackle, I have Casey Rogers or Keon Hudson, Edge, Jordan Birch or Mateo Uyungale. Um The positioning in this group is a little difficult just because of the position versatility that this defensive line has. Uh, a lot of these guys were lining up outside, inside, wherever you want to do it, except for like, you know, Keon Hudson and Casey Rogers. People are like real interior guys who aren't going to be lining up at D end or edge. But uh, Jordan Birch, Brandon Dorless have the ability to do both line up at D end or edge. Uh, same with Mace Funa. Uh, Mace was playing a decent amount of, of D end on whatever team he was. I think he was green team um, during the spring game. Uh, and then I, the only addition that I've had in this group was Mateo Uyunglele. uh heading into the spring. I had no idea what to think of him. Other than that, you know, he's you know highly rated kid, watched all of his tape. I know what what he looks like, what he plays like, what he should look like. Um, and that was exactly what he did look like during the spring and especially the spring game. So I was impressed with him overall. Um, I thought he got after the quarterback a lot during the spring game. I thought he did really well against, uh, you know, again, it was backup guys, but still, Feo Pelalu and Michael Wooten. Um, I thought they did really well against them. Uh, was quick to the ball, quick quick after the snap. Um, I think that he should be a guy who's going to be on a package for a passing down situation for sure. I think you'd try to line up Doralis, Birch on the inside and then let Mateo uh, rush out on the edge and with probably with Popo and, as well as an interior defensive end or, excuse me, interior defensive lineman. So um, that would be ideal. But overall, I think this group was pretty solidified from Brandon Doralis announcing his return um, and then Jordan Birch committing. Uh, there's there's a lot of talent on this defensive front Uh, it would surprise me if a freshman made a really significant impact that got them into the starting lineup just because of how good the guys are in front of them but this is my group Um, what do you guys think
2: Um, I guess my first question was I noticed there's only one or on the depth chart Um, and by the way go check these out on duck territory I similar to to Jared uh, tried to kind of be a I tried to not use as many. I we know we know what the depth chart would eventually look like, where there'll be like 13 of them. And I think we both mm-hmm. tried to avoid them. Why was Popo and um, Taki a position? I agree with you because I think that's a competition I'm really curious to track come fall. But why was that one where why was that the only one where you thought that maybe there's an or should be used?
1: Yeah, that was that was a pretty easy decision for me. Uh, just because it's going to depend on who Oregon plays. Uh, if it's more of a pass heavy attack, you want Popo in there, for, in there. If it's more of a rush heavy attack, you want Taki in there. Uh, we didn't get to watch Popo last year due to injury, but the year before, he was one of Oregon's best pass rushers. Uh, this past season, Taki was one of Oregon's best uh, rush defenders. And so you just kind of uh, – I think Oregon and Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy, Tony Tuyoti, I think they're all very comfortable with whoever's going to start at that position. But I think it's all variable on, on matchup dependence. Um, I think Popo's really going to be able to rush the passer this season. Uh, we've heard a lot of really glowing things about him from Tony Tuyoti, from Dan Lanning, from yeah. Tosh Lupoy. That uh, you know he's he's back to where he was originally pre-injury, so we'd love to hear that. But uh, I think Taki's an excellent rush defender. Um, yeah, not a lot of oars. I don't like Eric. Like you said, it's going to be a lot of oars once the real depth chart comes around, and I don't want it to be that. So I want it to be, I want it to be solidifying. Like, hey, I think this guy's going to start, and this guy's going to be the backup. Um, but these guys, I can see them both starting. I don't know how many games are going to be on the schedule, 12, 13. I can see them six and seven. Um, Like, I think it'll all be kind of matchup dependent with those guys.
0: It's notable that there's only one freshman, too, in this group. Um, A lot of experience. So it's going to be really hard for the freshmen, whether they're true freshmen or redshirt freshmen, to kind of crack this group. Um, But I think this just goes in line with, like, hey, like you've got to be pretty special. Just to even crack the two group too deep of this group, um, was there anybody that you like? My, I guess my question is like, who was maybe the toughest guy for you to leave off the list? Because the names that aren't on the list Jake Shipley, Amarion Winston, Ben Roberts, um, Tatum Tuioti, Michael Gardner, Pome, um, Johnny Bowens, Jaden Moore. Um, was there anyone that was like I have to give us a, a, a thought here, or was it pretty clear cut? Like there was no one beyond Mateo that, that deserved to be on
1: here. Uh, the only name was Amari on Winston uh, in the lone opportunities that we've seen 11-on-11 11 11 football during the spring. He was oftentimes with the one or two. Uh, I went with Mateo because I think he has a higher upside. Again, this is going to be one of my more biased picks um, because of his upside, because of what I saw in the spring game, because of his recruiting profile, because of his natural athleticism. Uh, that's a biased pick on me. I'm putting him on the second team. Uh, I do think that the Win- uh, excuse me, Marion Winston did well during the spring game. Uh, I've been pleasantly surprised with his growth. Uh, I didn't really anticipate him being a contributing f- member into this year's defense, but I certainly anticipate that he will be this upcoming season. However, Oregon doesn't have any edge rushers. They yeah. have like four or five guys on roster, and Jake Shipley was hurt for most of fall or excuse me, most of spring camp. I'm not even sure that he's necessarily an edge rusher. Um, but again, he was a guy whose name was brought up as Dan, you know, talked about potential tight end options, which is all a bunch of baloney, but I'll, but I digress. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't really see Shipley, you know, impacting the team that much. I'd say he probably has a similar role as he had what he had last year, which is limited as, a nice way to put it. Um, but Amarion, I think is going to be an impact guy, uh, mostly because they have to have him be an impact guy because they don't got a lot of depth there and that he's actually improved i think he looks better physically i think he looks better on the uh, at the point of attack i think his first step is pretty good um i was pleasantly surprised again with what i saw during the spring game so that was the only guy where i was like uh, i should probably give some love to him but again that was this again this is my depth chart so i was a little bit biased and i put mateo Uyunglele in front of him
2: i i think i share your bias i think that's a probably the right i think deck. it's fair you know, I agree with it. I mean, you I have just no think with it. you think about where these two, I mean, if you want to focus it on Amarion versus uh, Mateo or Tatum or whoever you want to throw in there, Mateo is a borderline five star recruit. Some services had him as a five star. He's one of the uh, more, I guess, prized guys, more anticipated players in this class. And he came in and had an awesome spring game. And we saw very little of this spring to to really give us a feel for this edge stuff. And as you said, Jared, there aren't many options. So I uh, I was kind of trying to go through this too while I was looking at your depth chart before we started going like, okay, who would I even substitute there? And kind of like you, I came to the conclusion of I could go with one of these redshirt freshmen or another one of these true freshmen, but I don't think that they really have much of a shot. to. I mean, I don't think that they're like you know clearly ahead. So yeah, I, I think that's the right spot. And I think Mateo will be on defense, certainly the only true freshman that we have in our two deeps. And for me next week, to give a little hint um, you might not see any other true freshmen on there either um, just because I think based upon what we saw this spring Certainly some guys who are really impressive but a lot of veterans back that make it difficult to really peg one of those guys mm-hmm. in, the, in the top two units
1: And I would I would add one more thing just Mateo's pass rushing grade or not his grade, but I guess his ability um, even if that's his only thing It's still better than the best that Amarion has and that's no disrespect to Amarion I just think Mateo's pass rushing ability is really good I think it's like circa Kayvon Thibodeau when he was a true freshman. Doesn't have the same explosiveness or get off the line, but he's a stronger, more polished of a defensive lineman uh, from in terms of your pass rush moves. And that's all Kayvon Thibodeau was asked to do for the first bunch of games. Till Gus Cumberlander got hurt. Just hey, third down, go, go, rush the passer. And that's I think what I think that's what I think Mateo will be doing this year.
0: Winston is just like a. I mean, this is no shot at him, but. I agree with the decision. Mateo was a five-star guy, five-star athlete, and Winston was a borderline four-star recruit. You're just, you know, they're just two different players. Winston is a guy that you would hope this season, after a year of redshirting, has developed a little bit, can get on the field in some capacity, and then as a sophomore, maybe next year, that's his opportunity to really make a push for a starting lineup spot or a two-deep spot, whereas Mateo's athletically, he's there. He just now needs the Fine tool the the techniques and the skills to, to get there. All right. Uh we went through defensive line. Let's go to linebacker and then we'll take a break after this one. Small group, two positions, the Mac and the money. Um your thoughts going into this one.
1: Uh I had a lot of thoughts going into this one, uh, mostly because of you know what, what we didn't what we haven't seen in eleven and eleven. Uh, what does Justin Jacobs look like? What does Jamal Hill look like? Uh, Connor Sowell, is there any depth behind Jeffrey Bossa, more or less, because he's the only returning linebacker? Um, and again, I was very pleasantly surprised during the spring game. I thought a lot of guys had some good days at the office. Um, so for this, a Mac and Money linebacker. Uh, for those that don't know, a Mac linebacker is your kind of prototypical middle linebacker, guy who's going to be calling the plays, Guys who's probably going to be stuffing the run. Um, kind of your one of your main interior linebackers while the money is more of your uh, how do I describe this more of your uh, your your pass protection linebacker a guy who's going to drop back into coverage a guy who's going to be a little bit more versatile have a different se- different but similar skill set as your Mac linebacker so um, I got Justin Jacobs as a starting Mac linebacker I have Jeffrey Boss as a starting money and then Jamal Hill as the backup mac and then Devin Jackson as your backup money. And full disclosure, my Devin Jackson pick was complete bias because I think Connor Sewell had a good game. Um, but there's also not a whole lot of options here similar to Edge Rusher. Uh, Oregon saw two transfer or two linebackers at the transfer portal, Harrison Taggart and Keith Brown like I mentioned earlier. So they're limited but uh, as the founding father of the Devin Jackson fan club last season, uh, to see him perform like he did at the spring game and to hear what uh, coaches and players have said about him uh, during you know, press conferences and interviews, I think he's really improved. Um, and I think his speed is something that Oregon definitely needs along the perimeter, and especially at their linebacking group. But, you know, Justin Jacobs was a guy who big-time transfer recruit, uh, former four-star out of Ohio, Transfer from Iowa, had a season-ending injury last season, so I wasn't necessarily sure that he was going to be ready by the time spring ball came around. He was. He played in the spring game, looked good. Uh, definitely the bigger of the two linebackers between him and Bassa, even though Bassa gained some weight. Um, so I thought that that was a pretty easy pick for my Mac. That's what I had going into spring. I think that's what I had like our first depth chart prediction um, because I think he's just a really, really good player. Go watch his Iowa tape. This guy's are when he's healthy, he's he can be a really big impact guy in the game. And then will looked good. I think we know what we kind of expect from him. Uh Jamal Hill, I think, was the surprise of the spring game. I thought he looked really good as a linebacker. Uh made some plays in into open space against Noel Whittington. I think it was noah Whittington, either that or Bucky Irving. Either way, it was an impressive performance. Um, I think he led the yellow <laughs> team in tackles or the green team in tackles he did before. Um yeah, it was Hill. Devin Jackson did lead the yellow team in tackles with five, him and Bossa. But I digress. But I, th- I think Hill was – it was really good. Um, I think it it made a lot of sense when we heard that Hill was moving a linebacker. He's always been a bigger nickel safety. He's always played better in the box than as a free or a, or a, a field safety. Um, so I think that th- it was a natural transition. I think he's going to do really well at it. However, he's not starting.
2: Uh to the Devin Jackson part just again I don't have any disagreement at all I, I think you could perceive it as bias but I think it's just the right pick uh Jared I think I think Devin Jackson is is like looked like one of the three best linebackers in the field for a lot of the spring game and was another one of those guys he's got the, the 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 profile as a recruit obviously we know the athletic intangibles that probably led you to start the Devin Jackson fan club Jared just in terms of the speed and athleticism and and how he carries some of the weight he's gained seemingly doesn't really slow him down much, which I think is really encouraging for a young linebacker. Like, I could see him adding five to ten more pounds and still staying really freaking fast, which is a really mm-hmm. good thing to have on a football field, especially in this sort of a defense. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I I fully anticipate Devin Jackson's going to play quite a bit this season. I think it would be a big step to, add, to to put him over Jeffrey Bossa, given that Bossa started the last two seasons. So, no arguments, but I'm just saying I, I don't think it would be – once again, you'd have to be kind of twisting your own arm to, to not pick Jackson, I think, in terms of putting, whether it would be Sowell, who, I don't know, in my head, I have more of as a, I guess, as a Mac guy. I don't know if, if you have really a strong stance or where he was working, but just physically, it seems like he maybe would fit there more. Um, but yeah, I don't have any issues there. And then I guess I don't really have any issues with the Justin Jacobs over Jamal Hill thing, just because if you look at what they were trying to do last year in terms of having a bigger linebacker like a Noah Sewell, Like, I see Jacobs as, and this is going to sound like disrespect to Noah Sewell, but just based upon where he was at physically, like, Justin Jacobs is a similar bodied, more explosive, better athlete than what we saw from Noah Sewell. So having somebody out there makes a ton of sense, especially next to Boston, who's always going to be even if he adds more weight, a little bit undersized just based upon his height and length and all of that. So I think that pairing makes a ton of sense. I'm also excited to see a hypothetical where you do see Jamal and Jeff out there together, which I'm sure we might see a little bit, maybe maybe a lot if it becomes a package that works. But I think you see certain games where you could see a lot of some combination like that where you get against a team that is going to try to dice you up over the middle or, or a team that's a little bit maybe more like, like when you play Washington, you might see a lot of Jamal and and, and, uh, and Jeff together, and that'll be kind of a fun thing to see. Um, I know there's not a lot of bodies here, um, which gets concerning because you know the history at this position, even the last couple of years with injury. But if everybody is staying healthy and I'm knocking on wood as I say that, like, I think you have the players without question to be pretty darn good at this second level. And it sounds weird to say, considering the, caliber recruit that you had on last year's roster, but I think it's pretty likely we had come away from the 23 season saying linebacker play improved from 2022. Um, and a lot of that has to do, I think with uh, fit, finding players that fit this scheme a little bit better and honestly just that are a little bit more athletic. And that was clearly a, I think they looked at this offseason when they were trying to figure out who fit this group.
0: I I have really no major complaints Um for this one, I would have done solo over Jackson, but I'm not like, hey, it needs to happen. I understand Jackson looked tremendous in the spring game, and just like Mateo and Winston, Jackson's like a freak athlete, and it's just been, can you can you get Jackson developed? Can you get him into the skill you know, into the scheme? He understands what he's doing, and once he does you know, the athleticism takes over and that's where he becomes a really special player. So, like, I, I have no issues with um, Jackson being on there. I probably would have put Connor on there ahead, but, you know, this is a case where they're probably going to duke it out for the first three or four posi- you know games of the season and then one will emerge. And typically, you know, you when you see a guy, you see this kind of a matchup, you, you tend to go with what Jared did the more athletic, the more physically better built player. And that's, that's Devin Jackson. You know, maybe it, maybe it doesn't click from like an understanding of scheme standpoint, but everything else is there. So I, I get it. Um, The Jamal Hill one for me is going to be interesting because I think he looked really good. Jared laid it out perfectly. Maybe a better spot for him now that he's heavier. Um, but is he going to be big enough to push Bossa or Jacobs out of the out of the first group? I don't know. That's that's gonna be the wild card where he may be tremendous but just can't get higher because of the two guys ahead of him.
1: And and that's fine. Like yeah. like Eric said, they need more athleticism. I know Sewell was hurt for most of the season last year, but you know, Bassa was their most athletic guy, but certainly still an undersized linebacker in that position. And teams took advantage of that. And now that Bassa has more weight and hasn't really lost a step off or excuse me, athletically, and neither as Jamal Hill, that gives them more positional versatility. Um, even with all the, like Eric said, all the highly recruited linebackers that they had, uh, just didn't didn't fit the scheme that they have now laid into this program. and this this position group this year, seems to have those guys at least on paper um unfortunately games are never played on paper so we'll have to see what it looks like in real life but if the spring game was any microcosm of what it could be it was a good sign where linebackers led the team led both teams and tackles for you know i think what was it eric like two times last year that that happened two times two or two or three times so that's a good sign and that's what you need um i think for the one more thing on jackson the the main reason i have him as on the two deep is because of one play in particular there was an end around to noah whittington on the outside Mm -hmm. and devin jackson shot the gap and tackled whittington for a gain of one maybe two yards no one was doing that last year mostly because they either a weren't in position which happened a lot or b they just weren't athletic enough. They just weren't fast enough to get around the edge to shoot between the tackle and the guard without either one of them you know putting a hand on it or, or blocking them. That's what Devin Jackson did. If you could find that uh, if you can find that in the film, just rewatch it over and over again and try to imagine somebody from last year's team doing it because it wasn't happening. And that one play I was like, "Ah, oh, shoot, man. This is this is different. This is a different type of linebacker than Oregon has had in the past. And I'm excited to see just what he, if he gets some reps. Um, so that one play is why I have him
2: on my two deep. That
1: and as the wearing the crown of the Devin Jackson fan club.
2: <laughs> I, I have a, I just have one more question before we get off yeah. linebacker. Um, what about Jamal Hill over at Money in place of Bassa? <clears throat> I'm not pitching it. I'm just thinking aloud of different combinations that could work. Do we just see Hill and Boss as such as similar players? Obviously they play different positions and but it seems like their strengths are are, are in the same kind of groups of attributes. Do you think yeah. that works any better possibly? Um, like what would what, your thought of if if, 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 uh, if Jamal developed himself into a starting caliber player next to Justin as opposed to someone competing for snaps there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be for it. I just think that boss's skill set is still better at the money um, than Jeffrey or excuse me, than Jamal Hill's. Is also also has two years of linebacking experience. Sure. Um, I think that helps more in the coverage side of things rather than being the Mac where you're more of a run blocker. Obviously, you have to jump into coverage, of course, but you know, your main priority is is calling the defense and jumping into, into run defense and trying to trying to stop anything from coming forward at you. And um, I do think that Hill is at least in stature seems to be the f- more physically prepared guy to be a linebacker than Bassa. even though Bassa did add weight and looks like a better linebacker now hill's just a big boy mm-hmm. um, and but again like jacobs hill has the ability to jump out into coverage and jump out and cover tight ends larger receivers um you know both were both were really good in in past coverage in the earlier years i think that this is going to be uh, a better spot for hill like i said earlier but I mean, I'd be for it. I just think that, you know, at this point, I, I see boss as the guy
2: next to Jacobs and not Hill. Totally fair. Just just throwing it out there. Just something I was thinking about looking at the, looking at the names and bodies.
0: All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, dive into the corners and the safety position groups. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles Podcast. Uh cornerback room now. Um, this is one where we probably kinda know who the four are. It's just where they fit, maybe, and or, or more so the order of the two of the two groups. Um, Jared, your thoughts on just how you came about coming up with a two d here at cornerback
1: yeah so uh, for my field cornerbacks i have bridges and manning and my boundary cornerbacks have kyrie jackson and jaleel florence um not a whole lot went into this i'll be honest i think this is exactly the same group of four that i had in my spring depth chart um and for reasons why it should be like they like if you watch the spring game it was clear that kyrie jackson is going to be an impact player at oregon um if you watch last season uh Tra- Tra- bridges was a solid quarterback next to Christian Gonzalez on the other side of the field. And then you saw moments of Jaleel Florence where he came in and, and did his thing in the games and you know provided a spark off the bench. Dante Manning did something similar, maybe not as much. He had a decent uh, holiday bowl game. His best game actually was against Arizona, and then he got knocked out for targeting, which unfortunate because he was playing a great game. I think that those are the clearly the four best cornerbacks on the roster right now, today. Because there's still a couple guys who are coming in, Dale and Austin, Roderick Pleasant, both basically top 100 recruits in high school, uh, both running track, both really fast. Um, guys who I think physically could perform at the D1 level, but you know they'll have to learn the playbook, so that's something else. But um, I think it was pretty simple. Uh, I think that Cole Martin had a great spring game. I just don't think that he's... I. To be honest i don't think he's tall enough to be a real cornerback like a cover or like a boundary cornerback or a field cornerback because he's 5'10 5'11 i don't know what he's listed at but it's not great but him as a nickel corner was fantastic because he's he's burly enough he's he's thick enough to get into the into a defender and be a safety type player in that essence but get kyrie jackson who i think is 6'2 or 6'3 um interviewing him we were looking eye to eye and i'm like that 6-2 level but he's a tall kid traquis bridges has a wingspan over seven feet so does dante manning like these guys are long and they're athletic they're exactly who you want to see as a cornerback and the, that's why i have these four guys they're all very athletic i think i could still jump on the dante manning hype train because i still just love what he does what he is like physically and athletically he just hasn't gotten down the um the, like the cadence of being a cornerback like Treklos Bridges has moving from safety over to corner. Um, I still think it's a good cornerback room. I was impressed with what Kyrie Jackson did during the spring game. Uh, I think he's a clear boundary guy rather than I, I think you give the lesser assignment to Bridges. You give the better assignment to Kyrie. Uh, not to say that Bridges is not is, is bad, but I still think that, he, that Bridges is a good cornerback. I think that these are just the clear four guys. Um, it wasn't really much of a debate in my head.
2: Cole, I'm in total agreement. That was kind of where I was going to, That was the first thing I thought of was if there was anyone from the spring game who really stood out, whose name wasn't mentioned, it would be his. And to your point, it was the exact one I was just going to make, which is when you get into certain matchups, you know, he's going to be probably a little bit more valuable than other games. Because to your point, I don't know if he can really thrive on the outside because he's just, we don't have heights and weights, but I mean, he looks like he's maybe 5'9", 5'10", I don't know. Um, that's not going to hold up a lot of situations. But if you put him in the slot and when you get into situations where that's going to be a matchup where, again, like we talked about earlier against a Washington where you're going to throw mm-hmm. a lot in Washington, especially last year, go back and watch it. Obviously, they, use, they utilize their outside receivers a lot, but they do throw over the middle of the field quite a bit and, and into their slot receivers. So a guy like Cole Martin might have a, a busy day there, but I think for the most part, you're going to be seeing him as, as kind of a situational guy and it might be a game like that where he plays a lot and there might be a game where he doesn't see the field hardly at all just because of the, the situation but total agreement with your four guys don't have a whole lot to add there um the kyrie triquez kind of jockeying feels like right now for kind of the alpha of the group um that's at least the way i sort of felt kind of coming out of spring um it's going to be interesting to see how that develops and i think the other part that just stood out to me from our one conversation with coach martin um, was just that he didn't want to name who the alpha could be if there was a guy on the roster because he wanted to wait and see how the young guys coming in were. I don't know if that was a sense that he really thinks that between Austin and Pleasant one of those guys could develop into a starting caliber player or if he was just trying to, you know, not put the cart before the horse and, and say too much about what he's seen in camp. Just thought it was a kind of an interesting comment, and I think you certainly are going to be very curious about what we see from a development perspective from either of those two freshmen. Um, you know, it wasn't, you, you see it fairly regularly where at least a true freshman can be a, a, at least a contributor. A Julio Florence last year, you think about it over the years, whether it was a uh, Mikael Wright or Thomas Graham, the guys who played and, or started games as true freshmen. I wouldn't be surprised to see one of those two guys kind of throw their name into this conversation. And where Jared has it as a clear cut four, maybe it becomes five or six guys that are really, really up in that competition. Um, but right now, I don't think there's any question. These are the right four guys. And I don't really have much of an issue with the order either.
0: Yeah, I, I all I have to say on this one, because the order's right. I think the players are right. Um, it's just the assumption is the acknowledgement that Cole Martin's a lot shorter, like Jared said, than everybody else, which goes away with how Oregon's been recruiting. Um, you look at the guys that they're targeting in this year's class, the guys that they have on their roster. Uh there are not a lot of the sub six footers on the roster right now or being recruited. Uh, Cole Martin's one of the only ones um, that that fits that bill. Uh, they like really tall, really long athletic dudes to play that spot. And so maybe, like Jared pointed out, hadn't really dawned on me until he said it, but maybe Cole's going to be kind of just locked into one sp- specific position and that's what his career is going to be like, playing in the slot uh, for Oregon as, as a quarterback. Maybe he grows, but he was really good. In the spring game, no doubt. Um, and so you know, you don't want to just say, Oh, well, he's not six foot or taller, so he's gonna be terrible. But you know, it's just interesting, it's an interesting antidote that he's he doesn't fit the type of body type that we typically see Oregon going after. And how does that impact things?
1: I think it'll be I think it'll be fine with Martin. Yeah. And you know, all this to say that he's still a good player. He's he's still had a very good I'm not trying to game. say he wasn't. It, no, yeah, no, hundred percent, I understand. But for the for the viewers or the listeners out there, he was really good in the spring game. I, mean, I think I thought he was probably one of the best corners on the field. I really liked what I saw from Kyrie Jackson. But like to Eric's point, there will be moments where Oregon is going to implement a four-two-five defense where it has a nickel corner rather than a nickel safety, and something like what they did against Arizona and what they tried to do at times against Washington. It wouldn't surprise me at all if if Cole Martin just starts those games. Just gets career starts blank and yeah. blank, or if Oregon, how they depend, how they feel about their safety situation, which we'll get to in a minute. If they just don't throw that combination out there every game, because Cole Martin look looked the part as a star, as a nickel star or a corner star, whatever you want to call it, because more or less that that is a position list you know place to play in the field like a star safety is the same as a star corner it's all the same and if they want to put that lineup out with cole martin as that starting star they could do that the entire season if they so wanted to depending on how they feel about their about their safety situation if they want to just play evan williams and taishin johnson and have cole martin is as the other safety quote unquote they can do that real easily because i think cole martin honestly is pretty perfect for that because he's built like a safety he's very similar in stature and size to taishin johnson who was a star safety at Ole Miss, um, yeah. but they all do their positional versatility. So I think it's I, th- I think that their options now are better than they were last season where you saw Christian Gonzalez have to yeah. play nickel because somebody else wasn't prepared to play then against Arizona. Now you have options. Now you have four cornerbacks. You have another year of development from Julio Florence, and you guys got really talented guys coming on campus in the summer. I think they got options here, which is a
2: good thing. Not making a comparison, but just bringing up the fact, and you kind of already said it with Taishim, but you look around the NFL and even in college, there there are oftentimes smaller-bodied players that are really successful playing kind of a nickel hybrid role, whether it be like a Buddha Baker or a Tyrone Matthew. Obviously, in the NFL, I'm not saying he's those guys at all because that would be really ridiculous to make that comparison after one scrimmage where, but I'm just saying, you could see him develop into something more than just, you know, he's recruited and he's written as like, it's written as a five ten corner on his profile. That's what it's going to say. I just think there's potentially more versatility into the point Jared made. Like you could, I think he could play a couple of different spots ultimately. Um, Maybe we'll see them. They might be a little bit slower in terms of cross training him because he is a true freshman. They typically do that. He's also the son of the position coach. So they might be feeling like he's pretty advanced and that's something he could take on earlier than some other guys, but jared's point like i'm really high on cole that was somebody who i didn't have maybe massive expectations for coming into spring but i came out of the spring game going there's something here and at some point it's going to pop in a game and i don't know if that's this fall i don't know if that's next year or if it's the year after but there's something there and i think it could be kind of something interesting depending upon how they approach where he works and fits positionally
0: yeah i had um eric when you were gone i i made the comment so i should be i should have said this at the very beginning i have cole being one of the freshmen in the 2D, you know, at the start of the season. So um I'm not down on Cole. It's just an acknowledgement of size difference to everybody else. All right. Uh, safety group, Jared. Um, mm-hmm. Last one for the show. Three different positions, free safety, boundary safety, and also the star spot. Um, another one, was it difficult? Was it easy? How, how would you describe this position group?
1: I would say it was pretty difficult just not seeing anything over the entire spring, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, and then obviously the two teams split in the spring game. There's two names that are like going to start. I would write it down in pen and put money on it, um, and Evan Williams and Taishim Johnson. I have Taishim starting at the, at the star safety with Kamari Terrell as a backup. I still like his upside a lot. Ah, uh, boundary safety. I have Steve Stevens and J.J. Greenfield, uh, and then free safety or or field safety, whatever you want to call it. I have Evan Williams and Brian Addison uh, as the one and the two deep there. Yeah, Williams and Taishem Johnson are going to start. Um, they both played very well at the spring game. Everybody, I think everything else is up for grab, meaning that one that boundary safety position where I have Steve starting with J.J. Greenfield as a backup. I don't know. This could go a whole lot of ways. Uh, I know that there were a couple comments in, on, on the article about how they wanted uh, Brian Addison to play there. I think Brian Addison is only a free safety or, or a field safety. I think that he is your center field. And I'm sure that he could play boundary safety because, again, the positional versatility, the cross training, all that mumbo-jumbo. I'm sure he could do it, but I think his skill set best serves him to be a field safety or, or a free safety because uh, it's again it's a center field it's six foot five dude who's fast and athletic and long and can can jump up and contest long deep passes and hopefully get back there in time to 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 do so for steve i kind of i gave steve the benefit of the doubt this is his fifth or sixth year in the program he's been here yeah six yeah been here a long time, understands what it means to be a boundary safety, uh, started multiple games there last year. Um, he's probably not the best boundary safety in the world, but I I, I think I had to give him the start there. I, I liked what I saw from JJ Greenfield. Um, again, Kamar Terrell is another guy. This position group is really top heavy, I feel. Uh, again, we didn't see Damon David at all during the spring. He was hurt for like all but one or two practices at the very beginning. Um, And then you have freshmen who came in, Tyler Turner, Cody DeCambra. I don't really know what to make of them, although safety is probably the easiest position to learn on a football field more or less. I don't know. It's a tough one. I might just throw Bryce Betcher in there, another bias pick. But um, I think, yeah, the boundary safety, if somebody comes through, I think that's the clear position that is the weakest but this kind of goes back to my Cole Martin point, where maybe Oregon punts on that idea. They want to bring in B A. and Steve Stevens off the bench. They move Taishem Johnson to boundary. They keep Evan, or they move Evan Williams to boundary or to free, and then Taishim Johnson to boundary or free. Keep that star safety position, star corner position with Cole Martin, and then go from there. Um, I don't know what they'll do, but yeah, boundary safety is is the question mark that I had.
2: Jared, if there was ever a time for you to push the Bryce Betcher narrative, it's now, now
0: do it now. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. This,
2: this is it is. He
0: looked good in the spring game. Go spring uh game.
2: everybody listen,
1: go read my feature story on Bryce Betcher. It's pinned to my Twitter profile. So there you go. It's
2: a good read. And uh and he's a good player. No, he's not on your too deep, and I I obviously agree with why, but I had a nice spring game. He's been mm-hmm. a good player on special teams. Like it's kind of cool seeing a local kid. I just want to give him a little, little shout out, and I'm happy Jared has 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 covered him so well. But um Yeah, no, I think I think I'm in. I don't really have much of an issue. I I guess if we wanted to get um, their best coverage team on the field, you would put Addison at free safety, and maybe you could slide Evan Williams over to boundary. I'm just trying to think about how some of these combinations would work. But I'm in agreement, and we kind of talked about this. We talked about this before, I know, with Steve, where it's like physically, I think everybody's understanding he's he's not the athlete a lot of these guys are, but mentally, and you have to remember this is a huge part of it on the field. Like he's like one of the top IQ guys on the field. He's really, really good in terms of getting everything set up. So I do think there is a lot of value there unless an Evan or somebody else is, you know, comparable or really close to comparable. I think you need someone like that out there. Um, that so was know, the guy uh, yeah.
0: Hampton named first when I was yeah. asked about, like, the leadership and the communication. Mm-hmm. Like It was Steve Stevens. So, yeah, so I think
2: there is he has more value than I think the average fan would think. And I know we've been critical, too, because some of the stuff physically last year wasn't awesome. But I, I don't think you can I think it would be hard to say he's not going to play big snaps unless there's somebody else who's again, unless Evan Williams or Taishim is just like they are right there with him and they have a full read of the defense they have and they can they can kind of substitute for him. I don't know if that works, but I do like the idea of if you could get, you know, BA out there, I'm in total agreement. Jared laid it out really well, of just the length and speed. And if he's covering a lot of space out there, that makes a ton of sense. Um, Certainly it's going to be hard to, to, to to beat him over the top unless he makes the wrong read, if he's playing out there. So I I like that. Um, And it would be, I think, could be advantageous to have Taishin maybe at boundary there, and, and you could put Cole at nickel in terms of if you were trying to get your best coverage group out there or, or something like that. I'm not sure um, exactly how all that works. But, yeah, there's a lot of things to work with. But to Jared's point as well, it is kind of a top-heavy group. And I think some of the guys we expected to be up here – like a Damon David's a guy who, when he was recruited and brought in, I thought he was eventually going to be a guy who was in the two deep. You know, three years in, I would have told you, gosh, he seems like he would be – he had a really strong spring uh his freshman year and and has kind of just we haven't heard much from him um and to your point i don't know what you can expect from these true freshmen either so um the guys you listed are kind of the guys and i don't have a ton of confidence or haven't seen enough from either jj or kamari to be like that guy is sure fire to be a positive presence on the field so there are some questions from a depth perspective um you know, for sure. And I think that's something that we'll, we'll be kind of following throughout the year. But there are a core group of guys that I think are, are very capable players, even if kind of the mix and match of it is sort of maybe difficult to kind of envision at times.
0: I, I look at this and I think you've got two really good guys, Evan Williams and Tysheem Johnson. Um, I think they've ha- they've got to be on the field basically at all times. And then it's just going to be like what Jared said, Situational rotation, you know, whether it's Addison getting on, on the field uh for passing downs or Steve Stevens, um, or JJ Greenfield maybe getting on there as well. But I think you've got two really experienced, you've got two proven commodities, and Evan Williams and tashim Johnson granted, aren't proven at Oregon, but at previous spots. Um, Addison's proven in certain areas. I think Steve's value as an IQ guy and communicator on the field is is highly valuable as coach even says it Uh, but there's just limitations with both addison and stevens and it's just going to be a little bit of mixing and matching to the you know the opponent that you're playing that particular week and also the down and the distance type of situation that they're dealing with a play-by-play move um guys not on the depth chart i don't really have any issues at all here um there really aren't any obvious ones. And um, we'll see if that changes. I mean, Ty Turner and Cody DeCambra were both here um, for spring ball. Like, can they make – what kind of jumps will they make? Solomon, you know, we'll see. I I, I don't know. Maybe – I guess the question here becomes, like, George talked a lot about cross-training on this podcast. He mentioned it a lot in, in the show – or on, in the story. We know that they've done it. Do they try, you know, do they solve some of these safety issues by maybe moving a triquest bridges over to safety and you know leaning into the depth they have a corner to help at safety? I don't know.
1: Oh uh, yes, the, the triquest bridges needs to move back to safety argument. Um I think that all entirely depends on how they feel about their cornerback depth. Because while we know that there's a lot of talent in the room, and again, they're gonna get some in the summer with Dalen Austin or Roderick Pleasant, that's cool on paper. But like I said earlier, you don't know, play the games on them. You gotta go on the field and play. And maybe they feel great about their cornerback depth. Maybe Julio Florence has made such a huge jump that he can is is very comparable, or Dante Manning is very comparable to what Triquiz Bridges can be in the field, and then they can move him back to where I think he would play best as a free safety or boundary safety. Maybe. Hasn't happened. Um, Hasn't happened in two years. Hasn't happened basically in three years. So I'm a little skeptical of that. I do think um, that it could be a possibility. But again, I think it just depends on how they feel about their cornerback depth. Um, Because you look at a guy like Manning, who five-star recruit in that 2020 class, you would kind of expect him or hope for him to be a starting grade cornerback at this point in his career. And if Traquez Bridges, a three-star Alabama guy, from, I think of Lancaster in Alabama, um, if, he's, if he's your starting cornerback for two straight years now, there's you know some development thing that happened with Bridges and maybe not with Manning. But maybe that changes this offseason. Maybe that changes in the fall. Maybe they think that this is their best option. And if that's the case, then I kind of really like their secondary. Um, with Manning's versatility and athleticism and then Bridges at safety I think is his best and natural position uh, I think it's impressive that he's been able to perform at both pretty darn well but safety just makes a lot more sense in my opinion because of his length and his speed and his skill set but we'll see I'm still waiting on that because Brian Addison and, and uh, Treyquist Bridges are the best safety combo on the team
2: I, I guess one thing just wrapping up defensive back talk is sort of to Matt's point of guys that cross-trained that were previously perceived oftentimes as corners playing nickel or playing safety. We saw that with, I think most of these guys with the exception of Kyrie, I think was with the f- only guy who was like, I haven't really been doing a lot of that. Um, just be really curious to see if anything comes from that. Like, do we see Julio Florence playing nickel more than we expected? Do we see, we talked about it already, does Triquez end up in the back at all? Um, personally, I'm kind of with Jared where I'd love to see it, but probably not expecting to see it. And if if we do see it also to Dearest Point's a good one. I Means someone else has stepped up at the corner, and that's not a bad thing at all. So, um, But, yeah, no, they, they spend a lot of time, especially with this group, kind of mixing and matching and playing guys all over the place. I'll be curious to see if there are any maybe surprise decisions that come from those exercises. Do they come away thinking a guy that we all perceive to be a corner is actually better suited here or there? Something to at least watch for when we get into fall.
0: All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Ots and podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to go read full detail of Jared's two deep predictions on DuckTerritory.com. Um, we'll have more coverage, continued coverage, I guess, of Oregon football on DuckTerritory.com throughout the summer. Um, next on the pod, we will be breaking down later next week uh, the offensive side of the football, which Eric took on that exercise. Um, so look for that coming here in the next couple of days. But until then, you've been listening to the odds and Novels podcast.
2: Talk to you later, folks. Peace. <clears throat>